We're going to pray for Stan as he preaches on Easter Sunday. What a glorious day. Thank you, Jesus, for Stan. We thank you for the word that he has prepared. We thank you that you um, have something to say to every single person in this room. And so we open up our hearts, we open up our, our minds, and we ask you, Father, to speak to us. We are here for you, Jesus. Bless Stan. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful, guys. So good to see you. <clears throat> for those that don't know me, my name is Stan. I've got a sinus thing, so my voice is a little bit in and out. And you are actually just come floating in and out as well. So you're out there somewhere, but I trust that it all goes well this morning. But um, really am excited about seeing people baptized. If you haven't been baptized, baptism is your first step of obedience in the Christian life. Jesus said, repent, believe, and be baptized. And uh, so we've got to take that seriously. It is a, it's a symbolic outward act of something that's already happened on the inside where you've died to yourself and have been raised again, going under the waters of baptism and then been raised to life again in newness of resurrection life, which today is one of those special moments in the calendar where we get to the whole church everywhere in the world makes much of Jesus' resurrection. It's an absolutely amazing, amazing thing today. But just amongst us, we have the Lobshers. Where, the, where are the Lobshers? There they are there. And then where's Morgan as well? Why don't you guys just stand? These guys, we'll just stand quickly. They're here for Matt's wedding next weekend. But they, they were in, Madeleine and Sean were in this church, and Andrew and, what's your mom's name again? What? Amanda, yes, of course, you know that. The Coakleys and the Lobshers were in this church for many, many years. And uh, these little, little girls, now big girls, were like very much littler. And it is amazing to see you uh, back again, and we honor you, and we thank you. And they're all serving God still, so absolutely wonderful to see. Bless you guys. They're from uh, other parts of the world, like New Zealand and, and Australia and the UK and all over. Anyway, bless you guys. Absolutely wonderful to have you with us. Next weekend, my son gets married. Shapers. And their daughter... I know, I'm getting there. <laughs> Sheepers, I'm under pressure this morning from all over the place. I'm being told what to do. Exactly. Please help me, Hilly. Is this what Janine does to you? No, of course not. Where's, where's Em? Is she here? Where are they? Where's Matt and Em? There they are. Just stand, Matt and Em. So, Emily Gallus. The Gallus's are in this church and have been in this church for many years. And, and uh, Matt are getting married, married next weekend. This, but this time next weekend, they're done. They're married. And, um, but it is really an absolute wonder and a joy. We saw Josh and Sarah get married a, a, a few weeks ago. And now Matt and Em. It is an amazing to see this next generation coming through with, with uh, Lobshers and the Coakleys and all the friends that are coming through. And Susie's also going to be there next, somewhere along the line. And, but um, it is wonderful to see that a, a, a generation, when we came to this church, we were their age. And now it's amazing to see them getting married and pushing on further into the things of God than what we ever do. They're better people than what we ever were. It's just absolutely wonderful to see. So bless you guys and uh, 
pray for us. I'm going to be doing the wedding, which is going to be interesting, and then talking afterwards, Gio and me get to get that, have that privilege, and at the reception, and uh, I won't see you next Sunday. So, um, but you know who is with us next Sunday? Thanks, Matt and Em. Is Drew Land is with us. This, so he's going to be preaching on Sunday. Drew and Anya are out. Uh, they were on a mission trip and then are back in and kind of just planned it so that they could actually be at the wedding because they're invited to the wedding. And so they're going to be at the wedding and then Drew's going to preach on Sunday morning. So it's actually worked out absolutely perfectly. So, Resurrection Sunday. Anything else here before I move on because I don't want to make a mistake. <laughs> happy life, happy wife, happy life. You know the story. Anyway. Mark chapter 15, please. Russell, does this happen to you as well, bro? No, never, 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 only me, eh? Okay, Mark chapter 15. We'll look at two texts. I'm actually going to preach out of Psalm 22, but to give you some context for Psalm 22, I need to read Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 15. Verse 21. So a certain man from Cyrene, Simon the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on the day on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. He did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. Important. They cast, cast lots to see... T taking his clothes, they cast lots. Remember that. It is nine in the morning when they, when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. So the reason why he was getting crucified is because he was the King of the Jews, mockingly. The King of the Jews. That was the charge against him. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. I read a commentary on this. And they said there should have been three rebels there, one named Barabbas and two on either side of him. And they decided to let Barabbas go and crucify Jesus. So they'd put Jesus into the same category as Barabbas and these thieves that were on the cross. These rebels, these... Verse 29. Those who passed by hurled insults at him and shaking their heads saying, So who are you going to... Are you... Sorry, so... You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him, the two of them on either side. At noon, a darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. 
Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man is the son of God. Jesus is on the cross. There are people hurling insults, the passers-by, just somebody walking past, mocking him, insulting him. Who are you? Who do you think you are, king of the Jews? The teachers of the law and the priests mocked him. Again, saying, come down from the cross. If you sow, if you sow the king, save yourself. If you've come here to save the world, save yourself. You can't even save yourself. And even those that were on the crosses with him were mocking him and insulting him. This is the picture. Jesus then cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the first line out of Psalm 22. And what you've got to understand about that is when in these days when you quoted the first line of a psalm, what you actually said to people is read the whole psalm. That psalm, it's the whole psalm applies to what I'm saying. I'm just giving, it's like a reference. So you reference the first line of the psalm, but intending us to read the whole of the psalm. So let's move to Psalm 22. If you're following in your Bibles. Psalm 22. And this is what it says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and, and were saved. In you they trusted and were put to shame. It's probably helpful to understand that this is written by David. It is written by somebody that is absolutely feeling abandoned and forsaken by God. And they're trying to make sense that this covenantal relating God of which I am part of the covenant people is actually feeling so abandoned and so forsaken from God. Maybe some of us relate to that. God, I know that you're good. I know that by the blood of Jesus, I'm with you, but why do I feel so far from you? Lord, when I cry, it's like an echo. Where are you, Lord? This is what this psalm is about. It was, it was written as a lament more than a prophecy, although it ended up being prophetic for the death of Jesus. It was written a thousand years before Jesus was crucified, before crucifixion was invented. And David writes this psalm, not knowing that it would be the, suffer, the suffering servant psalm that would be used of Jesus on the cross. I tell you what, friends, you don't know what your words today will mean in 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 years' time. Be careful with your words. 
Because actually there can be impact of something that you say today that carries on through generations in your family. And something like this happened with, with David. Let me carry on reading. So when I'm reading this, that's kind of what you, you're getting to. Verse six, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. Also look, as I read this, think through what I read in Mark chapter 15. So kind of get in your mind and see the, the parallels of what was said there and what was again kind of mentioned in this psalm. I'll highlight them to you. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults and shake their heads. Exactly the words in Mark chapter 15. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him, mockingly. If you so trust in the Lord, where's your Lord now? Basically what they're saying. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my brother's mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. He doesn't understand it. He has called out to God. From a, from a, little, from a mother at, 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 from a little boy at his mother's breast, he's trusted in God. Lord, how can I have been walking with you for so long? How can I have been with you for so long and trusted you for so long and you be so far away from me now? I feel like I'm a worm, I'm not a man. So much mocking, so much shame. I'm like a little maggot. This is what he's... What he's praying out and lamenting with. Verse 11. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. He is helpless. This is a place where God is abandoned. It feels abandoned. I don't know where. I don't know why. It's confusing. All these people are mocking me. The Pharisees are mocking him. The people passing by are mocking him. The thieves on the cross are mocking him. Lord, where are you? Is this right? Should this be happening to me, your son? Jesus asked, and sometimes maybe I think we ask. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Straight away you go back to the cross. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Exactly what happened with Jesus a thousand years before. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild ox. It's like he is just feeling absolutely abandoned. And then something happens between verse 21 and verse 22. Suddenly the, the tone changes in verse 22. 
I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised the scorn, the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from, from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Suddenly there's hope. Suddenly there's, there's hang on, hang on. I, I'm gonna declare your praise in the assembly. The afflicted one, there, there's, he hasn't hidden his face from those that have been afflicted and those that, actually you haven't abandoned me, Lord. Verse 25, from you comes the theme of praise to, to, in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May, the hearts, may your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth I will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Very reminiscent to it is finished on the cross. This is one of these psalms, friends, that is full of life, full of instruction to us. It starts with, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And it ends with, it is done. The Lord has had victory. It is done. Sing praises of the Lord to everybody. It's absolutely amazing. There's this, there's this picture of a forsaken, despised, shameful man that doesn't believe God is anywhere near him. And in the end, there's this absolute exuberant praise of the Lord to generations. How do we get from verse one to verse, the last verse? What's interesting is that at Psalm 22 starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 23, the next Psalm starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want. I tell you what, friends, the difference between the beginning of Psalm 21 or 22 and the beginning of Psalm 23 is the resurrection of Jesus. is the resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. Through the mocks, through the insults, God will always back us. Whatever we go through, friends, because of the resurrection, the forsaken that sense of God's forsaken me is no longer your portion. You want to get from my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to my Lord is my shepherd, I shall have not want. Remember this truth. 
Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that you and I would not have to ever be forsaken by the Father again. That's what happens when you put our trust in the resurrection of Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Not your own shortcoming, not the sin of others against you. You cannot be forsaken by the Father if you put your faith in Jesus. He might feel distant, but you know that he's near. It's the first thing that we've got to understand about this text. The second thing that we've got to understand, he says this, I am a worm, I'm not a man. I'm a worm, I'm not a man. He is so steeped in shame in that moment, this, the psalmist, that he feels like he can't even be equated to a man. He's like a little worm. What's absolutely interesting is that that word worm in the, in the scriptures, when you look at the Greek of it, could be translated worm or scarlet. Commentators say it is the scarlet worm. Now there is a worm called the scarlet worm. And what this worm does is called the crimson crocus. It was used to dye textiles red back in the day. And what would happen with this worm, when the mother worm was about to have its babies, it would go and attach herself to a piece of wood. And on that piece of wood, she would form a hard outer layer and then give birth to her children inside that, that outer layer. Her children would then begin to live and then she would sacrifice herself by the kids eating those little babies, eating the mother under the protective shell of the mother's body and then stain that wood red. Friends, it is the, it is the picture even in this, even when, when we know Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus, even when we feel like we're a worm, there's purpose and there's life in it. Because the sacrifice of the mother gave birth to the babies and then scarleted the, the, the wood. You and our friends have the incredible uh, uh, privilege of putting our faith in Jesus. He was a man but felt like a worm, but gave birth to many. It's in that place, a place of death becomes a place of birth. It's in that place that actually resurrection life begins to fill our lives. We start to see from that text, his, his, his whole uh, demeanor changes, his, his, um, his language changes to praise. You see, the power of praise in our lives, friends, when we know Jesus and we come like we did this morning to praise him and to honor him and we give praise to him in everything we do, not just in the songs we sing, we start to understand that praise puts pain into perspective and suddenly the perspective of feeling forsaken changes to somebody that is feeling absolutely loved and in the will of God. Maybe you've been forsaken. Maybe you feel like God has abandoned you. Maybe you feel like people have abandoned you. Start to praise the one who was forsaken on your behalf. 
and allow the life of God to fill you. Resurrection Sunday gives us this privilege. His, la- his language changes from my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And starts to speak about them and starts to speak about the nations and starts to speak about the assembly, the church, the families, the rich and the poor and the generations. It's incredible. You see, the resurrection Jesus gives us a perspective that is not just about me, but actually what God is doing in me, like that worm, to give birth to something for the generations. Resurrection Sunday reminds us that God has put life in us, not just for us, but for those around us. All around Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, they kept on saying, come off the cross. Basically, save yourself. Save yourself if you're the king. If you're so mighty, save yourself. The problem is Jesus never taught us to save ourselves. Jesus taught us to give ourselves. And Resurrection Sunday teaches us that because Jesus gave himself, we can find salvation and also give ourselves. Don't get off the cross too quickly. You see, Jesus ultimately would get off the cross. He would get off the cross through death, but three days later, he would receive resurrection life. And there's a process that God has put in place for all of us, friends. Somehow, something has got to die. If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. There's something that Resurrection Sunday puts in place in our minds and our hearts, reminds us, if you want to find yourself, you've got to lose it. There's a process of dying to yourself, dying to something, so that resurrection life can come. I always ask this question. Put your hands up, who wants resurrection life? Let's put your hands up, who wants resurrection life? Put both hands up. Yes. Okay, who wants to die? Oh, all the hands go down. (laughs) Friends, before you can get that, you need this. Before you can find resurrection life, death has to come. Everybody wants resurrection life, but are we prepared to pay the price of losing something so that we can gain everything? Somehow in the psalmist, he moves from being me-focused to others-focused. Save yourself if you are the Messiah so that we can see and believe, the Pharisees said to him. Save yourself so we can see and believe. How small were they thinking? So often, friends, we think God is gonna act in one way. And we, God, if you will just do this, then I will fully believe you. Problem is, he doesn't always work like that. Doesn't work like that. These Pharisees went away saying, justifying themselves. Yeah, you see, check. Dad, another one, Dad. Little did they know, Sunday was coming. You see, he would get on the get off the cross through death. He would save the world, not just himself. He could save himself but lose the world. He chose to not save himself and gain the world. This is what Resurrection Sunday puts into our hearts. 
just puts our perspective and our plumb line back in place again. He would become the temple. You say that you're gonna rebuild the temple in three days. In three days, he becomes the temple. The place where heaven and earth meet. The place that actually infuses into every believer. Become, where we become, we, the corporate church, become the temple. And we as individuals become the temple because of Resurrection Sunday. Which means we carry the presence of God wherever we go because of Resurrection Sunday. You become a priest before God. You become a, a mediator of the presence of God wherever we go because of Resurrection Sunday. Because Jesus stayed on the cross and got off the cross in God's timing, through God's ways, and for God's purposes. He became the king of the world, not just Israel. Very powerful things to remember for Easter Sunday. Mark chapter 15, verse 39 talks about the centurion and when this it says this and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died he said surely this man was the son of God the priests and the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law were saying come down so that we can believe the centurion who was the most unlikely candidate to believe. He sees the way Jesus died, and because of that, he believes. It says, surely this man is the Son of God. See, it was not by miraculously coming off the cross, but by willingly staying on it, that the character of God was being revealed in that moment. It's an incredible thing, friends. Resurrection Sunday should remind us that you are never, ever forsaken. You have a Father in heaven who backs you all the way. Even when you mess up, he's with you, he's for you. Resurrection Sunday reminds us, like that worm, our sacrifice is worth it. His sacrifice is worth it. And what you do for God and the sacrifice you have in your own life for the kingdom of God, it's worth it. It will give birth to many children. Resurrection Sunday reminds us that you and I are the temple, that we have the ability to take the presence and the life of God and bring it wherever we go. Resurrection Sunday reminds us it's not about me. It's actually about the world that needs to be saved. And when we, when we lift our heads and we, and we cast our gaze further than just our own immediate moment, we begin to see the power of God working through our lives for those around us. Friends, I wanna, I wanna say to you today, Resurrection Sunday fills us with new life. It fills us with new perspective, with realigns us back again to the kingdom and the purpose of God. And so often the kingdom of God is completely counterintuitive. Jesus was the servant king. 
He was the lamb king. How can a lamb become a king? And the kingdom of God, it can be. Servant, servant and king, hang on. No, the kingdom of God, servant kingship. Lamb kingship, sacrifice becomes the king. What about the naked king? Hung naked on a cross. Became full of shame and scorn so that we will never have to carry shame again. What about the outcast king? Had to be crucified outside. Nobody wanted to be near him. Who was he? You see, what happens is, friends, is this Jesus on Resurrection Sunday identifies with every outcast. He identifies with every servant, every, um, every, anything that's humble identifies with that. Those that are outcasts, those that are naked, those that feel worthless, those that feel disgraced, those that feel forsaken. Resurrection Sunday reminds us, Psalm 22 reminds us that you're not forsaken, God's right with you. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Put your faith in the fact that Jesus died for you. Put your faith in the fact that Jesus died a death that you should have died. Because we're all guilty, friends. No matter how good we are, we're all guilty. Jesus died a death that we should have died. And he lived the life that we should have lived and we can never live on our behalf. Resurrection Sunday reminds us again that the privilege that we have of knowing this king, of knowing this great father in heaven that puts his arms around us when we're at our worst and says, this is my son and my daughter. Resurrection Sunday says to you and me, I've chosen you. You might feel like an outcast. You're so different, nobody accepts you. I've chosen you. Receive my life. Receive my death. Receive the life. Receive my resurrection life so that you can start to live the life that I've called you to live that I destined you to live. Resurrection life reminds us that we can get, begin to live again the book that was, life that was written in the book in Psalm 139. We don't have to miss that book. We don't have to try and live our own life. We can live the life that he's given us with full, full um, um, confidence that he's backing us in everything that we are doing. I'm a worm, I'm not a man. Wow, look where the life comes from. It's so counterintuitive. Let's stand as we... Father, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that when we're at our worst, you are always at your best. 
When we feel we most despise, somehow you look at us with eyes of value. When we think we're dead and good for nothing, you remind us a worm, a worm is valuable. A worm can be something, some, can, be the, can be the very instrument of bringing color to a king's garment. I thank you that you died for us, Lord God. But I thank you even more that you live for us, Lord. And I pray that every single person seated here, standing here, whether they've known you for a long time, whether they've known you for a short time, and maybe there's people here that don't know you. You just heard of this Jesus fellow. I pray, Lord God, that your resurrection life would fill us this morning, Lord. I pray that it would breathe confidence into our hearts. I pray that it would breathe life. I pray that that you would, today, Lord God, just lift our heads, Lord God. I pray that you'd lift our heads to the nations that are calling us, Lord God. Nations that need to know this King through which we are going to be the vehicle that they're going to get to know them. Father, you wanted to fill us and make us healthy and strong and confident in you, Lord God, so that we can be a blessing to all those around us, Lord God. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that Psalm 22 reminds us that at any stage in our life, we, the, the, the tone can shift as it did from verse 21 to verse 22. I pray that there's a shift today in people's lives, Lord. From, oh God, where are you? To actually, Lord, you are praised in the assembly. I will praise you, honor you, revere you, thank you. You are so good. You are touching those that are not yet born. I live for the sake of those not yet born, it says. I thank you for a tone shift in our lives today, Lord. Towards a positive sense of your pleasure, a positive sense of your presence, a positive sense of you wanting to use us, Lord God. Thank you for that, Lord. We are not forsaken. We are in your hands, Lord. I thank you for that in your incredible, incredible name, Lord. Let us live this out every day, not just on Easter Sunday, Lord. Thank you that it is done, that it is finished, and that the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I want to end off by just doing that. I didn't plan to do this, but I want to read this off. Psalm 22 starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 23 starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing. 
I speak that over us today on Resurrection Sunday. I will lack nothing. Say that over yourselves. I will lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I pray, Lord God, we can move from Psalm 22 to Psalm 23 in reality in our hearts, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.